I was a kid growing up in Jersey, uh, anybody who was a hoot or really funny or something, uh, we'd call him a riot. Ladies and gents, uh, this guy's a riot in more ways than one. Bob Dylan. This is Pod Dylan, the show that celebrates the work of Bob Dylan, one sort of live event at a time. Proud member of the Fire and Border Podcast Network. I'm your host, Rob Kelly. And here to talk about the, uh, again, the sort of live event. We'll kind of discuss exactly what this thing knows that we all just watched. Shadow Kingdom, which debuted on Veeps just a couple of days ago, Sunday, July 18th, is my friend and a renowned music critic and writer, David Wild. Hi, David. Welcome back. I'm renowned. How can I... I can't feel bad. I'm renowned. I should, have, wanna... I should have said Emmy winner too. You just well, said Emmy winner. Congratulations. Well, that, thank you. That's, um, I was until, uh, Sunday night, the Susan Lucci of, uh, <laughs> rock critics. Cause I'd, I, I'd been nominated for the first time 20 years ago for the tribute to heroes after nine 11. And I have been losing consistently nighttime, daytime. And I've just been losing. And, uh, and I was sure, and I rightly predicted when I looked at the nominations for this one, that Jeopardy, because of Alex Trebek, uh, you know, the timing of it, I was like, oh, yeah, of I think course. he was going to win. And I was right. But what I, and in fact, I was at the, uh, I'm sorry, I'm in New York and you can hear, if you hear some, uh, that could be Bob Dylan right now, uh, coming <laughs> from the village. Um, uh, but I was uh, at Yankee Stadium during the, and this wasn't even like the main daytime movies. This was the, third of three daytime Emmy events and it was virtual, but I was at Yankee stadium with my son, who's a Red Sox fan, God forgive him. And, uh, and during like the seventh inning, I looked down at my phone and it says that award. And it says, and the winners are, and I see the words jeopardy, you know, and I go, okay. And then I say, Oh, that looks like another title. And for the only tie of the, that I'm aware of in the grant in the Emmy year so far, we tied <laughs> with Jeopardy. So I became a some kind of uh, you know daytime Emmy. I, at least it's an Emmy. I, I I can my obituary will can now say Peabody and Emmy winner at least. So uh, made me feel much more credible. Yeah, my wife likes ten percent more. <laughs> well, that's that's always important. So uh, <laughs> okay, so so we're here to talk about. Uh, this Shadow Kingdom thing, I think uh, David and I are going to have to sort of hash out what this thing actually is. It's not a concert. It's not a documentary. It's not a movie. Uh, before we before we get into what what we thought of it, let's just start right off with the set list. Uh, just so we can all know what we're talking about. The set list, this, uh, this special, the Shadow Kingdom thing was dubbed the early songs of Bob Dylan. So it starts off uh, with When I Paint My Masterpiece, and then it moves on to Most Likely Your Go Way, I'll Go Mine. Queen Jane, approximately, I'll be your baby tonight, just like Tom Thumb's blues, Tombstone Blues, To Be Alone With You, What Was It You Wanted, a song from 1989, that's the early songs of Bob Dylan, Forever Young, Pledging My Time, Wicked Messenger, Watching the River Flow, and wrapping up with It's All Over Now, Baby Blue. So, David, what did you just watch this uh, not that long ago? What, did, what, what was your initial impression of, of Shadow Kingdom? Well, first of all, interesting thing is when you read the set list, those were not the titles even on the, in the, in the Shadow Kingdom. I noticed right away, he even played with the titles. Like, yep. I guess in the intervening, you know, 50 years or whatever, it's no longer Queen Jane approximately. It's just Queen Jane. He, Queen Jane, he, yep. He didn't approximate it anymore. So, and there were other little things like that where I, that I noticed. And to me, it was almost like the written set list that he yes. wrote out and someone, uh, you know, put it in a type font. Baby Blue, um, done. Uh, yeah, but I will say the the only thing that matters to me is that I watched it in my son's hotel room, one of whom is named after Bob Dylan. His name is Zimmerman. No, that's not true. His name, his middle name is Dylan. And uh, and my other son, who's and he's a Dylan fanatic, and like me, is like loves the Christian Dylan era. You know, I don't know how genetics could make that work, but it did. My other son is a sort of more of a hipster DJ at college, you know, college and all that. Uh, not necessarily a Dylan fan. And they both watched it. You know, we're watching it on a computer, on a bed, much like I am now. And both kids who are not want to think anything dad likes is cool said, this is cool. Now, my younger son is the David Lynch fanatic. And ah, one of the more common comparisons, 
to this. People have said it looks almost like a David Lynch, you know, either like one of those performances in Twin Peaks or some other thing that Lynch had done. And so I will say it was, you know, you, you know, we can, as old grouchy men say, gr- or grumpy old men say, it's not a concert, it's not live or whatever. What it was was cool. <laughs> and it is, and you have a cinematic director. I, I, you know, I don't know this woman. I, I very much liked her movie. Uh, was it Honey Boy? Honey yeah. Boy, yeah. Alma Harrell, yeah. Yeah, uh, Israeli filmmaker. And I think she's married to another Israeli, or was married to another Israeli filmmaker, at least. I thought it was incredibly cool looking. And I think, and I can, you can stop me if I'm saying too much, but it's interesting. My longest conversation with Bob, which I think I recounted the last time I was on Pod Dylan, which mm-hmm. I, uh, and I'll recount it to anybody who ever asked, was <laughs> I did have this long brainstorming session, you know, in 2001, 20 years ago with Bob. And interestingly, the, the main subject was creating a fake documentary of an album. Aha. Uh-huh. That was our, and so I really weirdly, my long, I've had other conversations that weren't very long, but that was like hours and hours and hours. And it was all about the reason to and the interesting aspect of creating a fake history. And what's weird is in the last few years from the Scorsese film to, uh, you know, his book, I think he has like, I, and, and I, I, maybe I'll give it a literary aspect, kind of like a, Borges or you know it's sort of like a magic realism I think he is playing with real history and and making things up and showing that there's he can blur that line and make life more interesting because you know it's like the club that he says this is filmed at doesn't exist apparently (laughs) uh it was probably shot in studios in the west coast but even I I haven't followed up on much because I'm on vacation but I do believe people are talking about are those musicians really playing? <laughs> is this, uh, that's already come up and, you know, why is it not his band? Or maybe it is his band. And then this other band is miming along. Uh, I will say there are purists who seem bothered by that. I say, fuck all that. I thought it was just cool. I loved his vocals, you know, and I think people have said, did he play with the vocals? Did he re, you know, the vocals one way or another are among the, some of the best, it's, it, I, I was thinking today I walked uh, just up the road, Radio City Music Hall. With a, not the, fir- the first time I saw Bob Dylan was on the street legal tour a few blocks from where I am at Madison Square Garden. And he sounded pretty good. Uh, I then saw him on the beginning of the never-ending tours with G.E. Smith at Radio City just down the road. And he didn't sound that good. I, I think Bob Dylan right now is sounding the best he's ever sung in my time going to see him. So the last concert I saw was in Rome at the uh, Roman Baths. You know, it was such a dreamy uh, night that it was hard for me to go see him again. But I thought musically, whatever he did, he did it well. Uh, And that's, that's the bottom line for me. The closest thing I can think of as a comparison, if we have to kind of peg this thing as to what it is to me it, it reminded me i didn't i haven't seen all of it but it reminded me a bit of like the beyonce lemonade thing yeah. where it's like it's a video album really yeah. it's i mean it's just that the fact that the, these 13 songs are performed relatively all within the same context unlike lemonade where it was very very different but it's basically that it's just 13 videos play i mean yeah, as you said bob is clearly inserting himself into a time that long past before he came around. Uh, I said, I said when it was, when it was airing, I said, this looks like Bob has put himself in like a John Steinbeck novel. Uh, You know, like it's tortilla flat or something. It's all these guys. They look kind of gaunt. They've got these fedoras. They're smoking. Uh, By the way, I hope that was that fake smoke that they use in in like Mad Men or something, because Bob shouldn't be be around that much uh, carcinogens at his age. Uh, Not any of us. right? But to me, that's what it looked like. I mean, to me, it's it's other like you're talking about like Bob with the the alternate history. I mean, the, his last bunch of records, all the labels are old timey Columbia labels now. They yes. look like what they did, and so that's Bob is trying to put himself there. And that to me just felt like this was of a piece of that, where he's he's turning himself into this sort of juke joint entertainer in an era where juke joints aren't a thing anymore. So he's putting himself in there because he has the ability to do that. Yeah, and I actually thought, interestingly, that it was 
kind of like you, and I understand the reasons why, because the black and white and all, it looks, it's, it's made, you could think 20s, 30s, 40s, or whatever. I actually thought of it as the rough and rowdy ways uh, world. Like that, what's funny is that cover, uh, that album, and, and it, you know, one of the insane things is if there is not a part two where he does the rough and rowdy ways in this, in an environment like this, that seems insane to me because it seems like in a way it would have been perfect for that. Like mm-hmm. I, I am so hoping that there's like another, Part two is, you know, takes us up to, you know, covers the intervening years. Although I got to say, it's like how you could, I mean, it's just, this is the perversity of him that we all, you know, either it drives us crazy and then you learn to love it. And maybe it's (laughs) genius, like to have Oh Mercy represented, but, you know, not come up with a track. Is there a good track on Blood on the Tracks? Yeah, maybe there could have been a good track (laughs) or two somewhere in there. He could have thrown into that mix. Um, but I would personally love to see one that's like the 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 later songs, and then I'm hoping there's a third thing that they've already filmed doing all of Rough and Rowdy Ways. Can you imagine like doing the album in order and then doing you know Murder Most Foul? Oh, that could be wow. a whole separate movie, you know. And I yeah I so I don't really I I just loved it. There were certain songs I loved more than other songs, and you know. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I have to say, cause I, 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 you, you fear the worst. Like, I don't know if you've been watching many pandemic concerts. Very few have any artistic merit. This one really, you know, a bunch of people who I really love did things in their home studio and, uh, you know, and a kid ran in to, you know, get their, uh, you know, uh, Wi-Fi code or something. But this was, uh, this felt like an artistic statement, which, uh, you know, and, and someday someone will get into where exactly this was filmed, when exactly this was filmed, how the hell the COVID of it all, you know, did they, because there's sort of like, there's masks for everyone else. And then there's sort of not, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, there's just great moments like the two women. What's, what number does he do with the two women? I'll be your baby like, tonight. Oh yeah. That, that, the visual of that was just fantastic. Oh, I, I, yeah. I said on Twitter, that was a fetish. I didn't know that I had was two yes. women in fifties <laughs> outfits glaring at me while Bob Dylan sings. I'm like, Oh, that's, yeah. Oh wow. I didn't know that was something I needed in my life. And now that it's here, I can't live without it. <laughs> so. uh, yeah. I, I, I thought it had real visual style. Uh, and I do think musically, what is this like, you know, like bluegrass rules, like you can't have a drummer. I, I guess there's no <laughs> piano. There's a whole lot of bass and a lot of guitar and uh but yeah, vocally I think there were some arrangements that were just magnificent, you know, and uh and almost all of it allowed his vocal to be, you know, really, really front and center. And, you know, uh you go we've all been to concerts where the mix, you know, I hate when if I'm gonna see Bob Dylan, I better hear Bob Dylan. You know, I don't wanna hear as much as I love like a Charlie Sexton or something. I don't want him to be overpowered by anything. Hmm. Uh, and this was, he was definitely not overpowered by anything. At times he was underpowered, but it was uh, all in all, I thought it was magnificent. It, it feels like to me, well, first of all, we all assumed when they first announced this, that this was going to be like, oh, Bob wants to do a concert, but COVID is preventing him. So he's doing this live, he's doing this event that you're going to stream. And then once you saw it, you realize, no, 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 this is more than just a concert that he, cut in front of some friends that were all vaccinated this was clearly a, a piece a, a thought you know a put together piece i mean like you said we talked about the visuals and the, the song titles coming up in front of each one by specifically saying the early songs of bob dylan sets a certain context but i i was listening to him sing and as you mentioned like it's the instrumentation in some in some respects is, is very minimal like the tombstone blues is almost like a po- beat poetry kind of thing it's the, the there was such little accompaniment i almost I, wonder like now that he's done the three albums or five if you want to call them that of the sinatra material where he was crooning a lot i wonder if that's where he's he's, he's headed as a singer is less of the uh, less important is the, the the backing and it's more about his vocal because it seems like for every performance here as you say it's really about the vocal is what we're supposed to be listening to more than some interesting arrangement or beat. Not that there weren't some of that here, but it really felt like they were specifically putting his vocal front and center ahead of everything else. And I wonder if that's 
the influence of having done these Sinatra songs for a couple of years. Yeah, it's interesting. And I, I, I don't know if he'll ever explain this. You know, <laughs> it would be very him never to explain this. I, I had heard rumors that he was done, retired, that he was going to, he was, he was tired. He had finally reached the end of the never ending tour. That was a rumor I heard from a decent source. So hmm. I, I will tell you, I think I just, when, when I was on last time, I will tell you that when I heard Murder Most Foul, it was the most emotional, obviously the timing of it. I didn't know if I would ever hear a new Bob Dylan song. I didn't know if he was announcing the end of his life or the world. <laughs> you know, I had, it had, it had huge meaning to me. And then the nature of that song being literally like a uh, reckoning with the past and the present. And, uh, but, yeah, so I, I, it's hard to know, like, selling his catalog, where, mm-hmm. if this is a wrapping anything up. I, if it is, if it's part of that, you know, and then I guess they've already announced is it today when we're recording this, right, the next, uh, you know, the next part of his past that he's revisiting is, like, 80s in New York. Which, yeah, the, yeah. Again, which I was, I'm here in New York right now, and uh, I was there for all that, and that's really exciting to me. Like, in in part, that's why this, I'm surprised how excited I was by this because I have this weird habit of the artists I love. I tend to listen to the later part of their career once they're less beloved, <laughs> you know, once, <laughs> once, once there's more criticism. I, I do not listen to early Bob Dylan as nearly as much as I do street legal on. I, I can't explain it. So for me, I was sort of revisiting some songs I like, I, like the just like Tom Thumb's blues, I just love here. Uh, yeah, it's yeah. one of my favorites of his, and I thought that was a great performance. Oh, that just destroyed me. Um, I have to say, Tombstone Blues was one I never cared about, and I loved how he sang that. He he totally brought it alive to me. What was it you wanted? Is one of my favorite songs. I'm like an Oh Mercy fanatic. I love that album. And I love that song, and I was just totally surprised because. It doesn't chronologically belong in there. <laughs> uh, 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 Queen Jane, approximately. I honestly, it's like a song that I know was great, and it's not one I've I listen to all the time. But I do feel like he finally sort of brought that song back to life for me, and just uh, so you know, I again, I'm kind of in awe of you know when you hear. I mean, this is a project for Veeps, right? This is the platform is you know started by the two brothers from good Charlotte, right? <laughs> and right. I think sold to AEG and I believe, and it's a may or, or one of the other big, big companies. But the funny thing is like, no one else would make this movie. And I do think it's more a movie than a concert. It's like a, yeah, it's like a, a, as you said, a series of videos, but it all adds up to some sort of artistic statement uh, about the past. And I, yeah, I can't imagine that there's not going to be, a few more parts of this. I, I really do want, I don't know if he's, if he's going to go back on tour for rough and rowdy ways. I really want to hear him doing those songs. Yes. Yes. So much. I think like right now, if I could pay to hear any album, if you know how artists have done those album tours and Bob has not ever done that, right. You know, Bob has not done one of those shows. It's like, he's not Steely Dan doing an Asian night. Uh, 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 But I would, I would be so happy to pay anything to go see just a rough and rowdy ways night. That would be fantastic. And the encore could just be murder most foul. (laughs) (laughs) 17 minutes. Yeah. 17 minutes of encore. That's about right. I remember Lou Reed did that with the New York album. He played the entire album just from beginning to end. I never got to see that, but I would have loved to because I love that record. Oh, Um, I've been thinking about that record here in New York the last day or two. I was actually out with someone who is a landlord and, uh, among his many properties has a welfare hotel. And I just, it immediately brought to mind Dirty Boulevard. And that yeah. <laughs> one of the greatest lyrics of, one of the greatest lyrics ever written, not by Bob, Bob Dylan is that, you know, about somewhere there's a landlord laughing till he wets, wets, Wait, wets, wets his, his pants. pants. Yeah. It's one of the greatest lyrics of all time. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, by calling this thing, the early songs of Bob Dylan, which you didn't need, they didn't need to do. They no. didn't have. They did. They could have just called it Shadow Kingdom. You you are inviting the audience to say, "Oh, well, these are the early songs, so 
presumably there's going to be the later songs, right, Bob? I mean, you're you are inviting that by giving it that subtitle. Uh, you know, you didn't have to have to do that. Um, one of the things that I was struck by at the end during the credits, and we'll go back and talk about some of the songs because, uh, yeah, obviously that's the main reason that anybody's watching this is the performances. But I was struck by in the end credits, there is not a single name in the entire thing that we as dedicated Bobcats are familiar with. There's no like Jeff Rosen or Jeffrey Kramer or Eddie Gorodetsky or, or any of the, certainly none of the band, not even a production company. Like there wasn't, you know, we've all gotten used to when Bob does these projects, we see some of the same support staff names appear and there's none of that here. And it almost feels like Bob purposely dropped himself into this thing that he was unfamiliar with broadcasting it in a way that he's never done it working with people he's never worked with before. Now, maybe some of these are pseudonyms because we know that he goes in for that, but I was, I was struck by that, that it really felt like Bob was handing himself over to an entirely new group of people. And that was part of the context of singing these old songs, but yet with people that were most of whom probably not even alive when any of them were recorded. Um, but I, I, so I don't know. I just thought that was really interesting. And I also noticed that for, for virtually every song, he's still futzing with the lyrics. Yeah, well, he's still messing with it. And in particular, To Be Alone With You is completely rewritten. I think other than, other than the chorus, um, there's, no, there's no same lines from the actual song from Na- Nashville Scotland. And it made me think of that like Ship of Theseus thing where it's like, how much do you replace until the thing is not even the thing anymore? And it's like, exactly. is this even is this even to be alone with you anymore? Because <laughs> when when the entire song is different, yeah, it's it, it, for me it was interesting because I remember the early Dylan shows I went to where, you know, I don't know if you had this experience early on where people would be murmuring to each other like trying to figure out what's he singing, oh, especially when his singing sure. was not as good. It was like it would take people a, a minute, you know, and then <laughs> you'd hear this murmur like, "Oh, it's Senor" or whatever <laughs> people were saying. Uh, I, I thought it was interesting putting the title, like having the title come up first was insane. It was like, okay, that mystery was gone. And then, but then I did sort of, I was so, I thought it was so funny that either he, the approximately disappearing just made me so entertained. Cause it's like that title. I love that. That's a great Dylan title. Even, even if you never heard the song, Queen Jane approximately is a great title. Yeah. I, I, about the, about the thing with not seeing the familiar names, I was sitting on a hotel bed watching and didn't even like, I, I didn't want to annoy because my son's computer, I didn't, I made him pay for it so that I didn't, uh, <laughs> uh, I guess I, you know, I've supported him long enough. And, uh, but I didn't look at the credits. I didn't notice that, but I almost did have the sense of like, I did in my mind go, how did this happen? And I almost in my mind had a scenario. And also when did this happen? Like, yeah, yeah. I yeah. wonder when this, I guess it's like, the, the is that especially the absence of one rough and rowdy song just made, rough and rowdy way song i mean when is this is this possible is this something he had in the can and then i'm like well i think the masks thing makes it think no it had to be during the pandemic yeah i almost had the sense of like he got this offer you know from veeps and i'm sure you know to get some attention for veeps you know because other people were doing a lot of these shows but Getting Bob Dylan is something, you know, notable. I almost had in my, this is my fantasy that he went like one of his first times out of the house in the (laughs) pandemic was like in a mask to a coffee house and he runs into the Israeli director, uh, you know, who's, you know, kind of attractive woman. And he, he goes, you're in charge. (laughs) It's like, (laughs) I think I can't figure out quite. Yeah. How did these people end up being on the stage? And I, I I don't know. I almost don't want to do any research. I'm. I just thought it was so fascinating because he seemed to be having some fun, and I thought I, I I thought there was like you know this sort of I don't know if you it was shot. I don't know if this was the intended effect. It was like, but it was like a good little art house movie because you're seeing one space in this club in your head. And then all of a sudden you're like, is this the same? Is this a different room? Did he just a different angle on the same room? Or is this, and I think what it is, is, you know, it's like a series of days in some stage, you know, sound stage that 
you know, it's like the club. This is where this may be where Bob Dylan really does live in his head. <laughs> but I, I have the feeling this director did a pretty good job of capturing Bob's world where it's like, you know, and it's, again, I don't know what t- it, you, you projected it almost to a, you know, Oh brother, where you, you know, uh, Oh brother, we're out. You know, it's like, yeah, yeah. you almost went to that T-bone Burnett universe. Of, yes. Uh, yes. Or blue grassy universe again. But I think it is like uh, you can project onto what you want it to be. I saw it more roadhouse, you know, where, where, where racism isn't, you know, at play. It's like at the crossroads where R&B and country and folk and bluegrass were all sort of getting along and maybe sleeping together in this cool club, definitely drinking together. Uh, so I, I loved, I just loved the spirit of it. And I loved musically. I did think like, you know, I, I it's just interesting attention span wise. Like I think I'm of the age where it's like, I want everything to be like Springsteen length. I want a three hour thing. Right. Yeah. Uh, and he, it's, what is it? 50, it was 55 minutes. Yeah, or something just a like little hair under an hour. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, now for the way I was watching it, I wasn't like on a giant screen at home. I was on a, com- you know, in a hotel room on my son's computer. It maybe 55 minutes was perfect for that, but I, I would happily play, what was it? $25 for part two and part three and part four. <laughs> you know, if he has to give it to me, uh, I, I, I'm hoping it's already shot, but who knows? I, I definitely, I will say I did feel like when, when the titles were coming up, you know, and it was like, they were just one after the other. And then it, after he finished baby blue, then it said shadow kingdom. And for a half second, I was like, is there a song called Shadow Kingdom? Because I thought that's what, and then then it cuts the credits. I was like, oh, all right. And it did, that did really feel a little like a bucket of water <laughs> was thrown on me because I was like, okay. And then I realized, oh, no, no, it's book ended with Shadow Kingdom at the front, Shadow Kingdom at the, at the back. Now, you mentioned he looks like he's having a good time, which is, I think, important because Bob, of course, you know, he seems so serious all the time. And he's always talking about these weighty issues in all of his songs. His songs are about half a dozen things at any given time. But he also does have a very good sense of humor. Uh, he's got a real kind of flinty, you know, almost daring you to catch him being funny. But there's a lot, there's a bunch of things in this that I thought were genuinely funny. First of all, as we mentioned, the two women staring you in the camera as he's singing, I'll be your baby. And then the one woman like flicks dust or something off of his jacket. I was wondering, I couldn't, I, I, again, I'm sitting, you know, f- f- 20, 10 feet away from a computer. I said, is this a dandruff joke? I don't know what was going on, but it, I thought it was sexy and funny as hell. And I will tell you, like having spent a few hours with the guy, he was so much funnier than you, you know, as, as serious as an artist as he is, he, he was a guy who I like was ready to laugh. You know, I think, I, I think he's got a great sense of humor and I did feel it sort of came through in those moments. Like, yeah, I, I would like more of it. Like, listen, did he say a word? No, he did not speak, right, a word in the entire thing. I don't think. There was no, not he doesn't. One. Nope, just singing. He was, you know, please. I could. I would have appreciated one, please uh, tip your virtual bar, t- you know, please t- <laughs> tip your virtual waitress. Please tip the girl who just got dandruff off my shoulder. I don't know what, you know. Uh, I, I would like some shtick, but I wasn't expecting it at this point. And, uh, uh, yeah, I again, I just really loved it. And I did... I think there is a kind of wit into, you know, of that Lynchian sort of like weird world. And then, yeah, like even there's, it's funny to me, like all the musicians behind them had a mask, right? And yes. then all of a sudden, then all of a sudden there's people in the audience, no mask. Uh, so it's like, I don't know what rules he was playing by, but, you know, I guess he's always been one who uses those rules only when he's interested in them. Right. Oh, I mean, during the Wicked Messenger, when he was singing that, first of all, I just appreciated that he was singing a song that he very rarely sings. Wicked uh, Messenger. Singing like, Wicked Messenger. A, yeah, that was a shocker. Yeah. Um, and then even Pledging My Time, which was right before that, that's only been sung 26 times in 60 years, 50 years. So that's even more rare. But when he was doing <laughs> Wicked Messenger, and then all of a sudden, there's the guitarist right in front of you, in like yeah. in the middle of the crowd, and he almost like slides in. And does that, burr, 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 and then slides out of the frame. It was almost like a Zucker Brothers movie or something. Like it was like I laughed so hard at that. And then he does it like two or three times. Like they wheeled the guy in on a little cart yeah. or something. And I was like, that's clearly meant to make you laugh a little. 
because it's so absurdist of that he's he's back there singing and we're clearly two or three rows back and then all of a sudden we're fate we're right in front of this guy picking his guitar and then he just slides out of the frame or something it was just so silly and you're just not expecting that because like i said with the black and white visuals you're sort of expecting something so heavy and grim with all the smoke and all the kind of dangerous looking people. But then like I said, like I laughed out loud at that. I thought it was just so crazy. I agree. And I do like the more, the older I get, the more I do see the humor in what he does. And especially in like some of the basement tape stuff, like, you know, I, I hear more of the humor. I hear more of the, the shtick. I, there's also things like, I have to tell you, there's songs that are so good that I no longer like them for every for every young is one of those it's so moving and i'm a dad and you know i loved it 30 years ago but i'd never wanted to hear it again and i love the version of for every young in this it's like yeah it's beautiful it's like it's like a cliche that somehow got reborn in in hearing him do it this way it just mm-hmm. was uh yeah just fantastic i i as a side to side note to that i remember when he did letterman in the nineties and around 93 when he was promoting world gone wrong and he sings forever young again, how that promotes world gone wrong. I don't know, but he did forever young and he did this slow version. And I, I've always loved forever young is particularly the fast one. I just think that's one of my favorites. And then he did that arrangement and I was like, wow, he managed to come up with a completely new way of doing it that I like pretty much just as much. And I'm like, how does he do that? How does he know how to do that? And he managed to do it again here. Yeah. This take of forever young is really beautiful and it's it's different it works in its own way completely different from all the other ones that we've heard it's it's really again remarkable well by the way the question is who did that like you know it's like who did he and in the middle of like what when and who did these arrangements i i want to know the answer i i don't want to i guess i'm enjoying the mystery currently but it's sort of like i i don't know but i do know that Certain of these songs were he he definitely made as you would expect. We we've all spent decades going, well, that's an interesting choice. He makes interesting choices, sometimes perverse choices. And this had a little mix of perverse, but he made good on most of them. Like I don't I don't think there was anything I didn't really like in this as a choice. I just, you know, parts of me, it's only what wasn't there. Like I I, I kind of can't believe you know, you, you know, the albums that aren't included, <laughs> like, like, again, if you're going to get to Oh Mercy, how do you not get to anything from Desire <laughs> or Blood on the Tracks or Street Legal? Or Street Legal, right. Yeah, which is my secret weird favorite, you know. That, I think that's, I think that's a, almost everybody's secret weird favorite is Street Legal. This is one of mine too. Yeah. Uh, so I, <laughs> Do you think, well, first of all, okay, uh, um, I did want to ask, uh, ask you this. Maybe I'm reading too much into it, but that's what we do. That's what Bob invites by being so mysterious. Both, he's got two songs here, When I Paint My Masterpiece and Watching the River Flow, which were conspicuously written at a period where he was kind of laying fallow, like he was kind of not doing a lot. And both those songs sort of comment about a guy who's sort of sitting back a little and appreciating the legacy, but not necessarily really having a great desire to add to it anymore. Do you think there is anything to the fact that both those songs are in this set list? In a very short set list, two songs like that are, are in here? Or am I just I'm, I'm way overthinking? Well, by the way, you did recently on your show, When I Paint My Masterpiece, right? Was uh, yes. who, who did it with you? Um, a buddy of mine from art school named Sean Tiffany, who yeah, covered really, it once. I yeah. really like that. I, by the way, I love your podcast. I just... It's so, what's interesting about it is there's no one else. There is literally, I don't think I could possibly get through a Stones podcast about every song. I don't think (laughs) it would be, but I will say because like I have met Bob Dylan, I've had a chance, which is very, you know, I feel so blessed to have met my hero and I've had three hours where I sort of got my read on the guy and it was so great. It was so he was everything I want him to be and more. So, you know, he wrapped cookies for me, all good. You know, (laughs) the son son who he wrapped cookies for me just wrote me from the reservoir saying this is the best part of central park. You know, I'm, I'm all good. I've, I've, but the truth is there is no one whose songs deserve more serious study. Like I forget what show you, there's a, I think a British woman or no, an American 
some sort of professor who was dealing with one song recently on your podcast that, and she like, she made me hear a song a new way. And I'm like, there's no other artist who does that for me that I care about every song so much. And what's weird is what I liked about this is I felt like every song he did, you felt him caring about it Mm -hmm. in his vocal. He cared about every word. He made every word count. And there was a time when I was seeing him all the time when he was throw he threw it all away a lot. (laughs) He just was. And definitely like in, in big cities, he threw it away more than like, I would see him care more at a state fair than he would at a, you know, radio city. Uh, And I just love that. Like, I don't know if it was, you know, the last time I saw him in Rome, it was more like this where I really do feel he's loving, he's treating his own songs with such love, you know? And, and for those of us who love him, that's, that's the ultimate compliment. Like he is not, it's like, and here's another hit. It definitely was not. And here's another hit. I was actually like, when I saw forever young, I was like, Oh, I don't need to hear this. You know, I know really the only one that was remotely a hit of of the set. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I haven't studied the set list, but, I guess you're right. Yeah. Yeah. There was like no pledging my wind. time. I mean, what the heck, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah. No, there was one. I'm trying to remember which one, which is the one from John Wesley Harding. Uh, oh, Wicked Messenger. Wicked Messenger, where I was like, is that New Morning? <laughs> or is yeah. that John Wesley Harding? Like, it took me a minute. Like, and I'm like, I, I'm like, I, if I don't know that, like, you know, I know there's bigger Dylan fanatics, but it's like, it, it was interesting. And I, yeah, what would the part two of this be? What would be the songs he'd choose from Desire, you know? I mean, it's like, would it be all weird? Would it be, he's going to do Joey? Ah, uh, yeah, with my luck, he's going to do Joey. Joey. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, but uh, yeah, I, right, my verdict is this was, this was not his easy, like, uh, yeah, how easy would it have been to get Charlie Sexton in a, you know, soundstage and do the greatest hits one more time in a sort of unplugged way that, but this was really interesting and weird. And we, I swear, we still don't know, right. If that was Charlie Sexton, you know, who was it? And yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I guess, uh, I guess maybe we'll know and maybe we won't. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I keep, th- I think a lot of us tend to think like well, every time he does something, cause I mean, you know, the man is 80 years old at this point. Every time he does something, you, you start to, I think you start to net to think like, is this it? Is this, is he, is he, that's, he's done now. And then of course, you know, that seemed to be what was going on when he went eight years without a new album. I thought, well, he's doing the Sinatra stuff, but maybe Tempest is it. Maybe that's it. And then boom, He's got rough and rowdy ways. And you're right. He could have just done a live concert, you know, with some handpicked people, all vaccinated to make sure there was no trouble there. And they could have just filmed it and put it up on Veeps. And he would have made, he would have sold a billion tickets, a million streams because people wanted to see it. But instead he does this, he puts this extra effort into it. And obviously the set list is very peculiar, very specifically chosen uh, to listen to some of these obscure songs. Like I said, I don't, I, I am probably reading into it saying that when he's got Winnie P and my masterpiece and watching the river flow on the same set list that he's making any sort of statement. I think we're, I think we tend to do that. They'll overlook into some of these things. Was now, Leon, oh, was Leon Russell a co-writer on when I pay my masterpiece? No. Watching the river flow. Watching the river. I don't know. I'm going to, you want me to look it up? <laughs> yeah, I sure. sure. In my head, I kind of thought that was like a co-write. Which maybe it's it's one of the songs on Greatest Hits Volume Two, uh, right. one of the new songs on on that record. Um, but speaking of of albums, that yes. I immediately produced it. Leon produced it. Produced it. Okay, so I, I saw a lot of people online immediately saying, "Release this as a live album." I don't need the visuals. Release it. This has to be released as a live album. Now, I watched this. Uh, I've watched this four times so far. The first three times I watched it, and then the fourth time, I purposely just listened to it. I didn't look at it to see if I felt differently about it. Uh, now, maybe because I have the memory of the visuals, because, I again, I've watched it four times in like a week. Um, it's not exactly the right comparison, but do you think this would work as a live album with Sans the visuals? It seems like they put a lot of effort into the visuals. Do you think, would you want to hear this as just a, a, a live album or whatever it is? I don't know. I feel like um, this has taken me this long to say this. 
like the streaming world has made me, it doesn't, I don't even know what makes sense anymore to say, should it be an album? Mm. It just, it's like to anybody young, it should all be something that they can access. It's you know, it's like somewhere it's like, that exists. And, but the truth is the visual is the way I would like to have this. I would buy this again. And that's what my wife said. You already bought it. Is he going <laughs> to release it? I said, he did release it. And he goes, yeah, but, like it's going to disappear. I'm like, yeah, until they find a way to sell it to you. You know, it's like, I'm sure I have a feeling it'd be, maybe it'll be when there's a part, a, you know, a trilogy of these, the, the, the past, the, the more recent past and then the latest album. I don't know. I, I do think it's funny in a way that like, to me, Rough and Rowdy Ways is a major album. It might be, it's up there with, to me, Oh Mercy, you know, it's, it's, a, yep. A lot of the tracks it's one of the great ones i kind of think if he was thinking commercially which you know is not he's way past needing to do that but like i would have begun with rough and rowdy ways <laughs> and then you know for you know for christmas maybe release the uh the early songs in bob dylan but listen no one no one's earned the right more to do what the fuck he wants in bob oh, dylan, yes right yeah and and I love what he wants was so interesting. I mean, like, I, this was not like, uh, this was so surprising because the last thing that anyone is doing in this sort of streaming era is make an artistic statement. And it was, it was like, <laughs> he didn't make, make an artistic statement. I think he brought us into his world. I really do think this is where he plays in his mind and mm-hmm. it's where the music lives in his mind. Like, the last time I saw him was so perfectly that way, being in the Roman baths. You know, it's like, uh, I, I think it's kind of like, maybe that's the next five years. Maybe we get five more years of concerts that only exist in his cinematic head. And, uh, and you know, listen, like Ronaldo and Clara, which while fascinating, I thought it kind of sucked. You know, it was, a, it, was a, it was a mess. It was a mess of a guy who was not, I think the director and I, th- I, and this woman is clearly very talented who directed it, but I do think I sense Bob Dylan is, is his interest in film. His, I mean, he's, it, it's funny because today I was at the museum of modern art. That's where I'm rushing back from. I just walked back down mid- midtown past radio city and past all these, you know, I've walked past the beacon where I saw Bob a million times, but like, Bob Dylan exists as much in the museum. Like when I paint my masterpiece makes sense to me because that's what he is. He's one of the, he's the great artist of our time. He's like, you know, in fact, I was sitting at the at modern museum of modern art with my wife was going, do you know when Picasso died and it was so much more recent than she thought? And I'm like, yeah. Cause like great artists do live. We just happen to be living during the time when he's our greatest artist. Like mm-hmm. that, you know, and, Picasso, you know, you know, we went to the immersive Van Gogh exhibit, which is a big deal in New York right now. It's like we, you know, that's why your podcast is worthy is like he's he's our giant. He's the giant great artist of our time. He just happens to have painted mainly in in words and and guitars. Uh, And in this one, he didn't even paint with drums or pianos. It's like uh, he's so it's a different period of a great artist. And uh, and I do think he, and, and maybe this woman is a great, you know, obviously Scorsese is someone who's, he's pretty good, <laughs> but, yeah. this one, but this woman, he's found another person who can deliver visually what he wants. And I do feel it, you know, it, I, I had the, the initial, I, wa- I waited a day before watching it just because of my schedule, but uh, I heard Lynchian, but I thought it had a, yeah, it had a softer, it, it, I, yeah, I, 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 don't... I like the touch of it. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't get a. I really didn't get a Lynchian vibe from it because I didn't feel that it. I, yeah, I, I. It wasn't that. I just. It just felt well. It was black and white. Okay, that doesn't make it Eraserhead just because it's black and white. Because I just didn't get that vibe from it. But I always have to wonder. Talking about to Alma Haral again, who directed and produced this. I wonder when someone signs up to work with Bob in this context, whether it's Daniel Lenoir or whomever, do they just brace for being asked about this the rest of their lives? They must, right? They must know it's coming because no matter what project Alma Haral does uh, after this, she could win an Oscar for best director or whatever. She's still going to get asked about 
working with Bob Dylan because it's it's interesting. I mean, David, that story that you told when you were on the show the first time, you know, I mean, if I had had that experience, I would have had that story transcribed and tattooed on my chest. I mean, yeah, well, you know, I oh, mean, no. I'd never, I wouldn't, I would be telling it to somebody every third day of my life. So, I mean. That's what, <laughs> no, no. In fact, I, I appreciate you saying that, but the truth is that's why you say like, do you prepare yourself to have to tell that? story if you're Daniel Lanois. I think even if you're Daniel Lanois, you're like, holy shit, I have a Dylan story I can tell forever. And like, I was actually, by weird coincidence, I was at that studio in New Orleans, Lanois studio, right around that time that Dylan was there with Chris Whitley. I don't know if you know who Chris Whitley is, a singer-songwriter. Yes. Yes. But Chris Whitley was working in that studio right after that. And I was still hearing like the murmurings of great Dylan stories. I forget what they were, like things about his bicycle and more. I don't even remember, but it was all so exciting. And like, it's absolutely true. Like I will tell that Dylan story that, and I, I know I'm probably like, you know, if this is being heard by anyone in the camp, it's like, shut up about that story. Like uh, they have to know, they have to know that, we, people are going to tell those stories because it's, it's Bob Dylan. <laughs> they have to know that. Oh no, absolutely. I think about, and I do, it's like, uh, I walk every time I walk past a New York deli with black and white cookies, I think that's the cookie that Bob Dylan <laughs> wrapped for my kids. So, uh, yeah, I, listen, I, I'm so, I think I tweeted something about this the other day, uh, when I was watching it, it's like, I am so excited. I feel so lucky that you could have a hero your whole life. Like, and who's still working. Like, it's yeah. not just that it's not retrospective. We're, you know, there's going to be a day when there is no more. There might be, you know, posthumous reissues. But Oh, uh, they're, oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, I thought about it the other day because, you know, Jacob Dylan released a new album. Right. And I'm like, right. and like I hit it. And I've known Jacob since before he had put out his first record. Uh, I've known him for a long time. And I thought... Like, he's now a veteran. He's a guy who's sort of, you know, he's giving interviews talking about retrospectively about, I'm, <laughs> I'm too old. Like, he gave an interview. Uh, it was an article uh, in Spin, uh, and it gave great, great interview with Jacob. Great interview. And, but he said some version of, like, you know, I'm not going to audition for some A&R man. <laughs> you know, it's like, he's like, I'm too old for this shit. It's like a little bit the Clint Eastwood, and, you know, I'm getting too old for this goddamn shit. And it was like, that's Jacob. Like, yeah. He's you know, 50. He's 50 yeah, he's, years exactly. old. And like Bob Dylan <laughs> had three or four past that since then. Oh, it's just, it really is. It's just, it's just unreal. So, I mean, I, I found it highly entertaining. I, I find it hard to believe that it won't resurface in some capacity, that it won't end up getting streamed on his website or somewhere. I can't believe that a oh, hour long. My, my wife asked it. He's going to, is this, when is it going to be released? It's going to, it shall be released. I'm yeah. sure. And, <laughs> and yeah, we shall I mean, pay for it again. And I'd be happy to do so. But yeah, I, I don't, I, I think the visuals, I mean, I th- it'd be a shame for that to disappear. Cause I, you know, imagine like there's endless potential. Like I got to assume if they went to that expense and built a few sets that they already shot more of this. So I'm, I, I, I would I would love two hours of that anytime. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, I mean, if, obviously, if they announced they're doing volume two of this, everybody would be just as excited because then you'd know you'd be getting old, newer songs and that would be incredibly exciting. Speaking of that, David, as we're wrapping up here, because uh, I know you have to go and I very much appreciate you taking time out of your vacation to talk to me about this. No, no. Um, but one of the things I've been asking uh, all my guests recently, of course, because Bob has not been on tour for since uh, 2019, but presumably he's going to get back to it. I mean, Tony Garnier had that comment where he said, when, he used the word when we get back to it, not if, when. Okay. So let's say Bob uh, is setting up concerts, David, and he knows you're going to one of them. And he comes to you and asks. This is not uh, going to happen, but okay. Uh, well, okay. No, it's not going to happen. But of all the guests I've ever had on my show, it's the le- least less likely to happen to you okay. than anybody else. Yeah. So he comes to you and he says, hey, David, what song would you want to hear me open with? It could be anything, a cover, an original, whatever. But what song do you feel like you're, you're there in the front row and you hear, what song would you love to hear him open with after not seeing him for so long? Uh, I mean, what's funny is what I would say to him is, 
some, I had this discussion once with Paul McCartney when uh, he started doing all, but when he started, I was in South America in Argentina and he was doing, that's like the era when he and Linda started doing lots of Beatles. And he goes, what do you think of the set? I go, oh, it's great. It's great. I go, I, he goes, do you have any requests? Like jokingly. And I said, just a lot more wings. And he hmm. went, what? He goes, he goes, I go, I, I really like to hear more band on the run. And which is true. Like, because I, again, as I told you, I like the art. I, I tend to lo- start with the music where I came in. That's really where I came into McCartney uh, as a just age wise. So for the same reason, but I, if, if Bob Dylan asked me that question, I would say, listen, anything you want from rough and rowdy ways. I just want to hear at least half of rough and rowdy ways. That's, that's, that would be the dream. And that's the only thing I didn't like about, you know, I feel like if you can cheat to owe mercy, if you're going to call 1989 <laughs> early, then how about doing like an encore of, you know, can you imagine if he, if we all saw, you know, Shadow Kingdom and then he came back and just encored with Murder Most Foul, <laughs> but, uh, you know, with the uh, uh, guest stars, like, uh, yeah, that would be, that would have been something. This file still has eight, it says at the end, but this file has 18 more minutes left to it. There's going to yeah, be something exactly. going on. So, exactly. well, fa- well, yeah. Rin, so anything from Murder Most, anything from Rough and Rowdy Ways then is your answer. Yeah. Uh, yes. Uh, right. I, I I literally I don't think I've listened to any album more in the last year and a half. Mm. Yeah, so anything he wants. All right, fair enough, perfect answer. So, well, David, thank you so much for doing this. Uh, I really appreciate again you taking time out of your vacation to to sit here and do this with me. I mean, this is such a weird event. Bob keeps surprising us. Uh, the man has still got tricks up his sleeve even at this age. I think we're all relieved to see that he's he's healthy. You know, he has survived the pandemic. Uh, he's out there. Pl- he's playing. It's not live, but he's still playing. So we can only hope there's going to be more of these. And I'm sure we will all be signing up for them if they do put them out. So thank you once again for coming oh, no, coming back you. on the show. I very much appreciate no, it. Thank you for asking me. And I will say that my the, the most important review was not me. It was my kids going, both of them saying, this is cool. And like mm-hmm. nothing else, no dad joke I ever tell is going to be cool. Not, you know, but Bob Dylan is such a genius. He's. He stayed cool as he's making grandpa jokes, like, you know, (laughs) artistic grandpa jokes that are still cool. It's amazing. So uh, everybody, thanks so much for listening. Of course, you want to find back episodes of the show, go to our website, findwaterpodcast.com. You can subscribe to Pod Dylan on any of the podcatchers of your choice. And I need to thank our Patreon supporters over at patreon.com slash FW podcast. So big thanks to Robert Ward, Steve Cronin, Max Hutzel, Sebastian Krug. George Doherty and Joaquin Meckel for their support of Pod Dylan. I very much appreciate it. So that's going to do it. I'm going to go watch uh, Shadow Kingdom one more time before they take it down. So thanks everybody for listening and we will see you later. Bye. The other side of this sample Columbia record affords the best possible evidence of the quality of Columbia recordings. It demonstrates the faithfulness of our reproduction of the singing voice. And it is typical of the quality of every record in the entire Columbia list.